This is the Narrative Shift Podcast, where we talk about faith, justice, race, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Terrence Lester. And I'm Johnny Taylor. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Well, you are listening to the second official episode of Narrative Shift. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about the first chapter of Terrence Lester's new book, I See You. That chapter is titled Demystifying Poverty. And I know last week we kind of gave a surface level explanation about poverty. Very quickly went over that. But today we're going to go more in depth. Terrence, on a scale from one to 10, how excited are you about this episode? (laughs) Man, maybe... uh I don't know, maybe three, four. Okay, because it, I mean, it's a yeah. it's a really hard it topic is. It to is. discuss because uh, so many different people have, uh, I guess, very definitions of what poverty is. Would you agree? Yeah, I would think so. I think any, I mean, there, yeah, there's so many different definitions. And today, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's really defined poverty before using uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs as like a framework. Have they? I mean, I'm sure you're. Uh, you probably know more about it than I do. Yeah, I mean, people people have de- defined poverty as like uh, in terms of characteristics, right? You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you're poor, then you know maybe you have some type of uh, moral issue, or if you're poor, uh, that means you're lazy or uneducated, or if you're poor. Um, uh, the poor are criminals, you know, some of those like uh, descriptive terms and, you know, trying to give definition to the person who's experiencing poverty and not necessarily uh, a definition of what it actually means. So like even I, I've done a couple interviews over the uh, past couple of weeks and I've been talking about this subject like in depth and people always ask, why do people, uh, have these skewed views of people who are poor and we always start there and instead of like literally starting with what is poverty so in this book i actually reduce (laughs) uh, the definition down to its basic and most simplest form and i define poverty as just simply a lack of access (laughs) yeah that is just about (laughs) as basic as it can get right I mean, a lack of access that can apply to any different types of poverty that we'll talk about. I mean, that's yeah, spiritually, physically, relationally, emotionally. That I mean, that is the baseline definition for any one of those categories. Yeah, I mean, let's let's start with the the physical uh, poverty. Um, when you hear physical poverty, what what normally comes to mind with you or for you? So typically, when I think of physical poverty, I think of uh, someone who is hungry, someone without mm. access to food or uh, water or shelter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think about all of those things or people who don't have um, access to like child care or good education or sometimes right. even technology. There's a technology divide, you know, because yeah. even now nowadays... Like you even have to have technology to access like filling out a job application. Right. Yeah. Sometimes even I forget about that, that without uh, access to technology, 
this is a, a technological world. I mean, we're yeah. living in. I mean, the very 2019. Fact, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> that's a privilege. Right. <laughs> we're recording this with technology. Right. You're listening to this with technology. Yeah. And I think I've I've heard people uh, uh, give people experiencing poverty a hard time over owning an iPhone. Mm. And I'm sitting here like, how would the, I mean, how would they relate to the world without one? Like, yeah, your phone has to right. be smart. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the phone in these days is it's almost an essential. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, think about it, man. Banking happens on your phone. All types of uh, social inclusion in terms of how social media is structured these days. Right. Communication at its core happens on a smartphone. Yeah. I mean, think like. How would you call an Uber without a smartphone? <laughs> How would you right. contact your employer, check email, all this stuff? The smartphone has made it so easy to do all that. And without access to a, a smartphone, your ability to connect with the, the modern world is basically non-existent. Yeah. It is. Yeah, man. And, and when that, all of that compounds, because most times when you uh, are living in extreme poverty, or even mar- moderate poverty, poverty, um, you have ac- lack of access to certain things, but that compounds. So, like, if you don't have access to shelter, that means you probably won't have access to, like, a shower or healthy food or health care or, yeah. like, technology and all yeah. of this compounds. And it you, you, you find yourself, uh, when you're at this disadvantage, uh, at a deficit. And I, I remember a story, man. We were working with this this guy who was experiencing homelessness and uh, just, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you were talking about with the cell phone. Um, he had no cell phone. And, like, he was kind of, like, like, almost every day asking, could I use the phone? Can I use the phone? Uh, do you have a phone? Could you help me get a phone? Because he said that without just a basic phone, he felt like he was cut off from the world. That's true. And I've even been to developing countries. I'm talking like some of the poorest countries in the world. And most of them have cell phones because that is just the the way the world works. Technology has advanced to a level beyond, uh, I mean, honestly, beyond our moral capabilities. So it's mm. almost like, the technology has taken place in these, in one of these basic need groups, one of these basic categories. Yeah, I mean, and just like, I, we don't want to get on a high horse or anything and just continue to talk about this, but technology is at the core of human relations right now. <laughs> they're right. They're like families who will go out to dinner and like everybody will be on the cell phone. Yeah. Or like their families who will be in the same house but talk to each other through text message. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's at the core of human relations, and so not having access to that can, in some, in many ways, isolate you. Yeah, not having access to a cell phone is honestly not having access to modern society mm. at its core. That's just, I mean, there's some. I mean, there's so much we could probably talk this whole podcast about cell phones, which. We, I don't think we should. Um, yeah. So let's well, move on a little bit. And one thing I really want to talk about today is 
uh, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, I think it's so such a phenomenal resource uh, that I don't think is utilized enough just in society as a whole. There are so many different applications for this hierarchy, whether it be business or yeah, education or even like we're, we're talking about poverty. And basically, uh, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist who uh, was very influential during the uh, like the forties through the. 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. And he came up with these hierarchy of human needs uh, in a paper he wrote called, well, man, what was it? I think a, a theory on human motivations or something like that. Yeah, I think it's, it's a short it. paper. It's only like 40 pages. Yeah. Pretty short, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The last time I wrote a 40-page paper was never. <laughs> uh, but anyways, just an amazing resource. And it... I mean, basically, he just goes through these different categories of human needs, uh, starting with psychological needs, such as uh, stuff like air, water, shelter, sleep, onto more personal needs that regard uh, to safety, such as employment and access to consistent access to resources and health care and even property, onto the more relational needs, such as friendship and intimacy and family, onto the more personal needs such as uh, self-esteem and respect and status and uh, recognition of who, basically who you're, who you are as a person, where yeah. you're at in society. Right. And then on to the last category, which is self-actualization, which is really just acknowledging that you have a purpose in the world. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, so if you're not familiar, familiar with this, uh, this framework, it's basically a pyramid uh, that looks like a triangle. And at the base, you have uh, physiological, and then you move up to safety, love and belonging, esteem. And at the very top is, is purpose. And the, the, the reason I like it so much is because it helps people to understand uh, the basic level of if you're impoverished, uh, the things that you need to actually get to a place where you're confident enough to realize that you have purpose and belonging on right. this earth. And uh, if, if we talked a little bit about this, like the physiological needs um, and what like hurts my heart sometimes is that people who have misconceptions about the poor want them to have self-actualization and realize that they have mm. a purpose but they don't have anywhere to stay. They don't have access to food and water or shelter, or maybe they haven't even slept all night. I, I saw a post yeah. that you made about a guy experiencing homelessness that you were giving a ride and he was just falling asleep in the car. Yeah. So what was it? Two weeks ago, yeah. uh, this guy came into work and he told me he was homeless and he just needed some stuff. So I hooked him up and yeah. gave him a couple bucks. And then he asked if uh, I could give him a ride to cop county so he could go to the hospital mm. and i was like man i can't i can't take you all the way there because that's about an hour and a half away uh, yeah. so i just drove him 30 minutes down the road and literally um while we're driving he falls asleep mid mid conversation and he's just out mm. and he had told me earlier that he had walked uh from birmingham alabama to Carrollton, Georgia, which is probably wow. how many miles is that? Do you know? I don't know, but it's, it's a, over a hundred. Right, it's it's a long way, and wow. and I'm thinking, uh, 
this guy has been walking in the Georgia Alabama heat uh, for who knows how many days straight. Right. And he's homeless. Yeah. So who knows the last time he got food, water, right, food, water, and sleep, just like some sleep where he knew he was safe. Mm. I mean, we all know that when you're sleeping somewhere that where you don't feel like somewhere different, you don't feel completely safe how little sleep you actually get. You're constantly waking up at the slightest sound. And for the first time in who knows how many days, this man just felt safe. Wow. And he fell asleep during that period. Wow. And he slept like a like a log for that entire wow. 30, 40-minute ride. That's crazy, man, because I, I was reading this stat um, the other day. It says uh, basically 74% of homeless people do not know a place where it's safe and legal for them to sleep mm. because um, there is a criminalization that's happening um, and bans like kind of like coming against people who are experiencing homelessness for just like sleeping in public when they don't have access to shelter. Like for instance, in Charlotte right now, there's a code, um, code 15-26, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but like this code is a code for camping. And if you're experiencing homelessness, right, and you have belongings with you, just like sleeping on the ground or somewhere, they can give you a fine for camping. Mm. And if you get a fine for camping, guess what? You go to jail mm. and you don't have money to pay and you're probably worried and stressed and that equates to you know, not sleeping anymore? Or what if you're just sleeping on the streets and everything you own is in a bag and you're afraid to fall asleep with fear that it may be stolen or thrown away by, you know, local government trying to do street sweets? Yeah. I mean, I know even when I am um, camping out with my friends or something, I'll be, mm. I'll wake up at the slightest noise. Yeah. Uh, just knowing like, I don't know what's out there. It could be a coyote. It could be uh, someone walking up on us. You just don't know when you're in an unsecure environment what is going to happen. So you don't sleep very well. Mm. And I, I even remember times where I would be on the road uh, doing long road trips and I would just sleep in a Walmart parking lot or something. You're mm. constantly waking up, not knowing who is around you. Like you never know if someone's going to come up and try to break into your car or yeah. if you're going to, if a police officer, officer is going to wake you up, uh, trying to give you a ticket, you just never know. Yeah. And it is not good sleep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and bro, just like what does sleep deprivation do to, to a person? I mean, just think about it. Yeah. I'm probably not the right person to ask, but I, <laughs> I know there is I mean, a wealth of information yeah, on the they're internet. Probably, they're probably yeah. all type of like, Health issues that can happen. Um, oh yeah, um, I feel like I read like a like a four hour night sleep is the equivalent of drunk driving when you're driving. Whoa! Like that is like what it's comparable to. The lack of sleep is comparable to like being intoxicated. Wow, that is wow. That's not that's not good. Um, I'm looking. Uh, here too for like um man i see you know you can get uh memory loss uh change in mood you know it puts you at risk uh for like poor balance um 
you know, it, it's just so many things that it can arise if you're just not getting sleep. And, and when we look at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, um, if you're poor, how can you really advance if you're not getting those basic things right. met? Yeah, and sleep is one of those basic physiological needs that Maslow has listed. And when we think about people who are experiencing homelessness in general, how many of these needs are beyond them? I mean, if you think about it, how far up the hierarchy they have to reach. Mm. They don't even have access to these basic physiological needs such as food, consistently being able to eat, uh, shelter somewhere where they know they can lay their head and sleep, or oftentimes, sadly, even clothing. Right. Like how often have you seen a guy or a woman who has dirty clothes, they're ripped up, yeah, I mean, and if you don't have clean clothing, then how can you even think about walking into an interview? Or if you don't have access to the water, which is also uh, physiological, like how can you take a shower and, you know, groom yourself so you can prepare for, um, you know, just a productive interview? Mm-hmm. But how can you even think beyond... <laughs> not having any of these needs met. Right. And one thing that is, I think, phenomenal about Maslow's work is he suggests that until these bottom level needs are met to a certain amount that, or they're satisfied to a certain degree that you can't really think about the next level in the hierarchy. Mm. So for instance, if you haven't eaten in three days, you're not going to be thinking about your personal health. You're not going to be thinking about your personal security. You're not going to be thinking about, oh, uh, where can I get a job? All you're going to be thinking about is how can I get a meal? How can I get a meal? How can I get a meal? Right. Or how can I get sleep? Or where can right. I sleep? Yeah. You know. And then, for instance, once we move up, if you're unemployed or you have serious health issues, you're not going to be thinking about, oh, well, I need some friends or I need... Uh, that sense of intimacy, all these being in the next category, right. you're going to be thinking about those present needs, which is employment and health and whatever else it may be, and so on and so on. Yeah, you're not going to be thinking about these upper things until you fulfilled the lower needs. Yeah, which is like, a, bro, like we talked about this level of community that everyone needs. You know, um, it's amazing just looking at this chart how even thinking about if you are poor and you're just like caught in this physiological uh, needs, uh, you know, category and you're like worried about water, food, shelter and all these things, like you're not even thinking about, I need to be around people. Right. And you're definitely not thinking about, oh, I'm a human being who has a God-given purpose in this world. Right. You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about All of your confidence is really stripped away. You're thinking about all these physical things or these, the need for safety or something else. You're not thinking about the the higher needs that you have. Yeah. And you, and if, if you're not in community, you know, really you're not going to be able to move up um, to the esteem where you're like, you know, you have self-respect, you have respect for others uh, you have self-esteem, <laughs> you gain some, some sense of recognition. And like we talked about earlier, recognition is just not 
all patting yourself on the back is just affirming of your dignity. It is. It's dignity your, your at its and, core. Yeah, yeah, your worth and value. And, like, you don't even have strength. And we're not talking about, like, physical strength. We're just talking about, like, emotional Yeah, like strength. resolve. Yeah, mental strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then the last uh, level, which is the ultimate level, is uh, this self-actualization. Yeah, which I would... As a Christian, I would almost redefine as that yeah. spiritual actualization, like yeah. knowing that God has given Sense each, yeah, each one of us a calling that is irrepeatable, um, and He's called us all to something greater than our individual selves. Um, but let's let's even think back, like let's think of how if you if you have like if you're fulfilled in one of these needs, how less likely likely it is that you will fall into a like you'll need something in a lower hierarchy if that makes sense yeah so like give, for me instance, a, give, give us an example so let's say like i would imagine both of us have most of these needs felt or uh needs met and what we're feeling more is the the self-actualization part like both mm. you and i are searching out our purpose and fulfilling what god has called us to do um and how less likely it is for one of us to go without food. Hmm. Like neither you or I have to worry about where dinner is coming from right? or where we're going to sleep. And we both have self-respect and we both know we have, yeah, we have friendship and families and we both know we have employment and access to healthcare and just where we are, how unlikely it is that we will drop down to the lowest need. Right. But think again how how difficult it is to climb to move up, up. Yeah. or to move up. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking. I'm I'm even looking about the, at this man and, and thinking about this. It's it's almost like ideal in how poverty can be seen. Uh, because like earlier we defined poverty as a lack of access. So like some people don't have access to just love and belonging and friendship and family and intimacy. And that creates a sense of poverty. Some people don't have, you know, that employment and that personal security and that, that lack of access creates a sense of poverty, man. And, um, I, I think there's a, a message even, within the framework of this this hierarchy is like people who are in the space where they are um, realizing their calling or, you know, have the privilege of, of seeking out what it is that God wants them to do or like discovering their purpose um, can actually be empowered to go to the, to the bottom and, and kind of like meet the, the needs of other people and help bring them up. Yeah. That's so good. And, I didn't and, even think about that. Yeah. Like, when we're at a certain level in this hierarchy, we can meet the needs of people who are experiencing needs on a lower level. Yeah. Yeah. And help and help people, uh, you know, kind of like rise up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, for instance, uh, we've seen it happen when uh, people have like stable food, water, shelter, clothing like and they are they feel secure then it's more 
a stable for them to start looking outward and, and start looking towards employ, employment. And like in that sphere, um, and, and you move through different social circles, like you find friendship, you find belonging, and people around you are able to like provide the community to like speak into your life. I know you, we talked about that last time, man. Like people are able to like, you know, uh, not just boost your ego, but like really call out things of worth and value in you so you can realize uh, your own self-respect, but also have that esteem. And ultimately we're trying to spur people on to figure out that God has a greater purpose. For yeah. Them. Yeah. And I think sadly so often uh, we can get caught up thinking that the answer to fulfill our next need is to, to stock up on what we have at the moment. So, for instance, like we'll think, okay, like I've got these basic physiological needs met, and what I need for the next level is just keep stockpiling what I have, mm. or even moving up, like into the, we'll go up to the friendship and and thinking like, okay, like I've got all these other needs met, so what will make me happy next is just having a bunch of friends. Mm. Once I have a, a bunch of connections, I'll eventually be happy. And it does take an aspect of risk to move on to that next level. Yeah. You can't just stay where you are and thinking that hoarding what you have will get you to where you want to go. Oh, that's so good, man. And and hear us, like, we're not saying that all of these things um, give you like your worth and value uh, because only God's love can. Right. But what we're saying is like to actually function uh, in society, some of these things uh, need to be met uh, before you can actually, I would even say overcome poverty Yeah. in many ways. Yeah. I mean, just think of how many celebrities think that they're going to fulfill their, their purpose through making that next connection or reaching a certain amount of followers on Instagram or Twitter mm. or having their bank account read a certain number when in reality the next level for them for them to meet their next need is to search for God and find out what God has for them and what mm. their calling is. Yeah. And I think so often we forget that Yeah. I mean the way up is up. Yeah, yeah, right. I was going to ask you though, John, man, like how do you how do you think people enter into poverty? I mean, we know it's generational, like people are born into poverty. Um uh we know people have like you know, loss of job, loss of health. What 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 are some other things? Yeah, so like you said being born into poverty. Unfortunately, um statistics show us that poor people are typically staying poor and that rich people are typically staying rich, mm. that there is very little crossover between those gaps, that very few people are coming out of poverty into the middle class or into the upper class. And very few people in the middle class are moving up into the, into the upper class. And that very few of us are m- going to make more money than our parents. Typically we're going to stay financially about where we are is what statistics is showing. But there are also many other ways that you can 
find yourself impoverished. And I'm talking specifically about physical poverty at the moment. Yeah. Um, something such as the loss of job or the loss of your health. Like you could, I know someone who, um, I think they got involved in a jet ski accident Mm. and they were no longer able to work. And eventually their spouse left them. Um, and they started losing their house, their cars, they started losing everything. And he ended up on the streets. Wow. That's sad. Just as something as simple as a jet ski accident, which you wouldn't even have access to jet skis unless you're living in this. Yeah. Um, category of excess you know unless you have a lot of money you're not going to own jet skis and you're never even going to enter that problem and it's just there's so many different ways that we don't think about and which is why it's so important to to listen to people's stories to find out how they got there there isn't a one-size-fits-all for poverty right that that's so true even this uh point of about like losing a loved one i remember when we were on the campaign uh map 16 If many of you don't know what that is, it's the March Against Poverty 2016. We made a journey from Atlanta all the way to uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, we were able to turn that journey into a film called Voiceless. And I remember we were in South Carolina. I forget the name of the city, but we were interviewing people. I think it was uh, Spartanville or something like that. Spartanburg. Spartanburg, yeah. yeah. And we were interviewing uh, you know, people experiencing homelessness behind uh, like this this local business. And one of the interviews, the lady said the way that she ended up on the streets was because her husband passed and she had like run-ins with the in-laws or something and they took everything from her. I remember that. Yeah. It somehow cut her out of the will. Yeah. And, and she kept saying like, I, I never would have imagined in a million years, how I would be here. Like I, I've had a job, I had a family, She, I have children, they don't know I'm out here. And then she goes on to say, six months ago, my life was totally different. Yeah, there's just really an infinite amount of ways that someone can enter uh, poverty. But what about, what do you think about specifically policies that mm. keep people in poverty or drive them into it? Yeah, um, man, I was I was just talking about this uh, book the other day called The Color of Law. Um, and if you don't know what this book is, uh, you know, I, w- I would highly recommend um, that you look it up. It's written by uh, a man, uh, Dr. Richard Rothstein, and basically he's He's kind of like uh, rehashing a history of our government and how, uh, you know, even some of the government conspired with segregating America with redlining and like not giving people access to FHA loans, which home ownership is kind of like at the, the core of family wealth in this country. If you're not able to own a home or own land, then you can't pass wealth down from generation to generation. And so... Like uh, that's one, uh, you know, kind of form of system and structure that has, you know, kept people at at bay, so to speak, of of not being able to access wealth. Man, yeah. And that's almost like one of those invisible obstacles that people don't think to look for. Like when you see someone homeless on the streets, you don't think, oh, well, there's actually a law that put them there. Like that mm. seems so far removed from 
you're thinking. But I'm curious, like what are, I know you've been working around specifically people who are homeless for a long time. And I want to yeah. hear some of the common misconceptions that people have about the people you work with. Yeah. Um, bro, believe it or not, like people, people normally think that people who are experiencing uh, this type of impoverishment are mentally ill or they're lazy or, or they're addicts or they're drunks. I mean, I've, I've heard people call, um, you know, you know, people living on the street, some, some of the worst names ever and without even knowing their stories, man. And mm. I'm always like curious as to why is it that, where did this narrative come from and, and why do people have this misconception about um, people who are impoverished? Where, where did this narrative come from? And uh, I, I've heard it all, man. And in most cases, like if you are to get to know people and like like you said, know their stories, uh, most often than not, man, it's it's not even what you, you know, <laughs> stereotype somebody or typecast somebody to actually be. Uh, there's also this misconception that poor people are lazy and they don't work. When in fact, uh, people who are impoverished <laughs> work longer hours and harder right. hours than anybody else. Sometimes yeah. 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, they just make less and they're not able to provide as much as somebody else. But I mean, they work hard. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But poverty is a full-time job in it oh, of man. itself. Yeah, that's but that good. reminds me, uh, just even today, uh, <laughs> I defriended somebody on Facebook. Oh, wow. Because they, they <laughs> you posted, want to share why? Right, yeah. They posted a status that said, I don't know why homeless people get offended when I hand them job applications to McDonald's instead of money. And I'm sitting there like, I don't wow. even want to like go into this with you, so I'm just going to defriend you so I don't see wow. anything like that Are again. Are you serious? Yeah, but I mean, What okay. if the guy doesn't have ID? Yeah, but think about that. What if you needed money and I handed you a useless piece of paper? Wow. Like, I mean, think about it. Someone who's homeless, they don't have an address. They may not have ID. Yeah. They probably don't have access to a bank account. Who's going to hire them? Yeah. How many McDonald's do you know that they haven't hire had homeless a, people? They haven't had a shower. Right. They don't even, <laughs> they might not even have clothes. If you go back to the hierarchy of needs, you know, they, right. they haven't had rest or sleep, right. you know, and it's, man, people don't get it. And like, they're, they're those who actually think like, you know, they're, they're saying like, you know, you know, feed a man a fish for a day, you only feed him, you know, for a day. If you give a man a fish, you only feed him for a day. And if you teach him how to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. Right. You remember that quote? Right. Or do you know that quote? Right. But who owns I, the pond? Right. Not, greater than that, right. though. I, I say it like this. If you don't give a man a fish while you're trying to teach him how to fish, <laughs> right. he's going to pass out before he learns right. anything. Right, that's true. That's <laughs> you valid. Because I... I just I just think, man, relief goes with development and people who lean more on the development side, most often than not, those are people who have never been in the shoes of those who are right. suffering. And yeah. in reality, it's an excuse not to give relief. Yeah, right. It's like, why don't you just skip to this next level? I'm right. going back to the hierarchy. Yeah. Oh, why don't you just skip to, you know, three just, levels up? Why yeah, can't you just, just walk do in your purpose? I'm, I'm here. <laughs> you know, why can't you be here? Right. When in reality, it's much, much more difficult than that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, how, how have you... My, my, my thing is this, too. People have very little clue as to how damaging their misconceptions about someone else is. Like, I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewing this guy named Tyrus. And one of the things in the book is we talk about fear, but, like, I was asking him on the other side, when people are afraid of you, how does that make you feel? And he goes into this dialogue. I mean, just literally, it hurts my feelings, like, to see people lock their doors or, like, uh, say different things to me or turn their head or walk across the street. He says, man, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm, I'm Tyrus. I, I matter. And he was talking about that kind of like trying to disarm the fear of those who've had that fear against him. And, and I think, you know, um, some of these, these, the ways in which we typecast people and have misconceptions towards people, they, they damage folks, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, how many of I mean I think we can all admit that we have been Hurt. misunderstood yeah. at some point. Yeah. Like how many times I'm sure you oh, have many times where I remember on uh map <laughs> eighteen where yeah. police police officers would pull up on us. Yeah. And one instance they said that you were disrupting the community. Right. And I wasn't. I you was just, just walking. walking I was walking on behalf of those who were impoverished, mm-hmm. man. And then we had another instance where a police officer pulled up and he said that someone called and said there was like four black men with sticks yeah. waving them at cars. Yeah. And it was like, it was <laughs> like you and my mom right. and somebody else. And like, James. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like you and then a bunch of white people right. without sticks. Without sticks. But it's like a total misconception. Yeah. And you know what, man? It, it, it hurt uh, hearing that. And it, it also was like, wow, how could people think these things about me without knowing me? Right. You know, they don't mm-hmm. know that I would give the shirt off my back or mm-hmm. that I love my family, that I'm there for my kids. It, I mean, it's it's really hurtful when people, you know, judge you before they know you. Yeah. I don't think no matter who you are, yeah, misconceptions hurt and yeah. feeling excluded hurts. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it lacks empathy and compassion. Yeah. When we don't understand the framework of where people are, like just kind of like meeting their basic needs and security and, and then having that community and building up that esteem for them to like stand on their two feet and say, yeah, I belong here. I do have purpose. I mean, it's right. hard. And I think, man, if, if, I mean, many of us have been in, many different situations where we can relate to the hierarchy that we talked about earlier. Oh yeah. And we've dealt with our own impoverishment, maybe not materially, but maybe immaterially like we discussed last time. Well, I know there've been times in my life where I've just felt alone. Mm. I don't have any friends. Wow. And that's, you know, well, I'm your friend, <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm not talking about this present moment, but yeah, you know, like but, in high yeah, school, yeah. like high school's rough. Like, wow. So many high schoolers feel like they don't belong. Wow. And true. that is, uh, it's a different kind of poverty, but yeah. it's still poverty. It's still yeah. relational poverty. Yeah. And I think we can relate. Um, we can relate to anyone who's experiencing poverty in any, no matter what the category is or what the circumstances are. If you've felt any kind of poverty, you've experienced poverty. Yeah. And. I would agree, man. Yeah. Like I have something in common with 
that guy who's walking on the street doesn't have a place to lay his head. Wow. I felt alone. Yeah. He's probably felt alone. We have yeah. something in common. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, that is a, a common bridge that you can kind of walk across. But I was going to ask you, man, like, as we close and, like, we wrap up this podcast, I, I really want to do- delve into, like, what does it actually take to get out of poverty, you think? Man. Um, speaking simply about uh, like physical poverty, there are so many different hurdles uh, yeah. that it, that it present themselves. Uh, right. For instance, like so many people who are living on the streets don't have IDs. Mm. And That's true. I think you can speak into the process it can, it takes for someone who needs an ID. How long, I mean, how long does it typically, typically take someone to get an ID if they don't have one? Yeah, man. Um, if you if you don't have just like any ID, if you don't have like a birth certificate or like social security card, it's going to be really hard. If you're not working with an organization that already has attorneys on staff, where the attorneys can solicit things really quickly, uh, maybe from your birth state, it, it could take six to eight months um, wow. because you all actually have to like hire an attorney to like solicit records. Um, you'll have to have like an executive director of a nonprofit organization to write and validate that your program is working with uh, that individual. That's and crazy. then it all has to be submitted in a package. And then you know how um, like sometimes government agencies are, it takes a while and it it's slow and it's, it's a slow process. I remember working with a guy, man, and it, and it took like, almost six to eight months to even get his birth certificate. Why? Because like we had to go through all these like hurdles just to get ID because you need ID to get ID. <laughs> right. That is so like, ridiculous. It's, it's crazy, man. Like we, I mean, he didn't have an ad- address. You need an address to get ID. Uh, like you need one form of ID or a bill or something to get ID. But if you don't have ID, you can't get a bill. You can't op- open a bank account. You can't get a piece of mail. And it's like all of these these loopholes, man, that you have to like, kind of like overcome um, uh, hurdles in a in a sense, man. You got to overcome all these hurdles, and it's it's hard. So what you're saying is, it is extremely difficult, nearly impossible, without somebody in your corner. Yeah, and man, I mean, that's why advocacy is so important. Like. Um, Man, I was uh, so this this lady had wrote a a piece, a blog. She had read through the book, and um, she said the book reminded her of a time where she ended up like almost homeless. Um, she had gone through some circumstances or whatever, and she said it was because of her like her community, her Christian community. Wow. Uh, that allowed her to like sleep on couches and like encourage her that she was able to like find the strength within this community to stand on her own two feet again. But she openly says like if she wouldn't have had that community and people walking with her, man, she she wouldn't have made it. Um, and it, she said like the whole entire book kind of reminded her how 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 vital it is for us to have, all have community. And have people like advocating for us, walking with us, um, helping us. Sometimes transportation is an issue. 
Like, what yeah. if you're applying for a job and the guy says, here, here's an application instead of money. Right. But you don't have transportation to get to work. Right. Like, yeah. there's so many different. Or even not even, like, you haven't even gotten the job yet. Right. The interview. Right. How are you going to get to the interview? Yeah. Or what are you going to wear to the interview? Right. You there's know? So many, so many different obstacles. Right. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, man. Um, also, like, uh, thinking about just like helping people to believe that their dreams and their goals are possible. Man. And going back to that hierarchy of needs, yeah. when you, when you are in the lowest of the low, um, needing desperately needing these physiological needs, how distant those further needs feel like how impossible it feels that you have purpose, how impossible Mm. it feels that you can be reintroduced into society as an equal member with someone who's worthy of friendship, how impossible it seems that you can have self-esteem again, how impossible it seems that you can have safety and consistent employment and access to healthcare. Yeah, man, man, I was reading an article uh, because you have this question now, here it says, how, how long can it take for a person to escape poverty? I was reading this article on Atlantic, and it the title of the article is basically, it takes 20 years for a person to overcome poverty without Jeez. without anything going wrong. Jeez, without <laughs> <laughs> without near, anything going which wrong. Which is nearly impossible. I mean, I'm just thinking about my life yeah. without anything going wrong, like... Yeah, I mean, and the angle of the angle of the article is dealing with like proximate relationships, right? Like, who do you have in your life? Because if something goes wrong in my life or your life, we we have, have safety nets. Yeah, I have someone I can call. You know what I mean? Right. But like, if you're impoverished, let's just say, like I was mentioning earlier about the code violation, if you you know are cited for like sharing food because in certain cities you can't share food with homeless people or like you get fined for sleeping somewhere then now you have a criminal history and yeah. you got to pay court fees but if you can't pay court fees and you create a <laughs> like almost a criminal record in a sense uh, for just like small violations and uh, let's say you're on the streets and you have these small violations and then you get sick because right. you can't care for yourself. And right. I mean, it's so many different things. And you get depressed. Yeah. Because of the stress of it all. And there's just so so many things that can go wrong. Right. Um, like even in my life, like just a few months ago, like my insurance, my car insurance, the messed up and uh, I didn't, they didn't have automatic payment set up. So I got fined $25 for not having insurance for my insurance lapsing. Oh, wow. And then uh, I had recently moved, so I didn't get that letter about the fine. And the oh, fine wow. increased to $85 for a late fee. And for me, that's, I mean, it's no big deal. Like $85, I mean, it pisses you off. Yeah, sure. Because the insurance company screwed up and I shouldn't have to pay this. Mm. But it's not devastating right. like it would be for someone who's experiencing poverty. Right. I mean... <laughs> You think about it, man. Um, just ten dollars, bro. Um, right. Just twenty five dollars. Just 
I mean, food, you know, change to wash your clothes. It's it's a lot when you have absolutely nothing, man. And I love this verse. I, I want to share this uh, scripture. Um, it's found in John 13, uh, verses 34 through 35, and it reads, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have loved one another. What, what do you think that means, man? Man. As it relates to what we're talking about. Bro, I'm just looking at uh, the back of your laptop right now. There's a huge sticker that says, love your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Like, just love people. Yeah. It's not that difficult. I mean, it is difficult, but it's not that complex. Yeah. And love is an action word, too. It's so verb. Love is, you know create an opportunity where someone can shower love mm-hmm. is you know feeding uh someone who may have not eaten uh because jesus himself says like when you do it to the least of these you've done it unto me love is yeah. even sometimes creating a safe space where people can actually sleep it's befriending those who are impoverished you know i think a, a large part of how we help people overcome it is by loving people and walking with people and, uh, you know, allowing people to have access to our access. Yeah. And one thing I think is awesome about the word love in scripture is it's us oftentimes used idiomatically as, uh, it's used as like choosing people. So you'll say like, you'll read like God hated blah, blah, you know, blah, 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 and loved, blah, blah, blah. What, what what it really means is that God chose this person and not this person. So even think about that through that lens, like what does it mean to choose someone? Wow. Like if you replace that word, love your neighbor with choose your neighbor. Wow. Yeah. What does good, it mean man. to choose somebody? Like I'm going to choose to look out for their needs. I'm going to choose to look out for what benefits them. I'm going to choose them over myself. Right. Because... Here, here's the thing. You were chosen. Right. So if, if, if you were cho- chosen, why would you withhold that choosing <laughs> for someone right. else? Right. I mean, you we know, can go uh, back to the prodigal son, the right. story of the prodigal son. You have this father who's out there looking for a son, and you have this other son who is doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Like his father invites him to, this, to the party, because his brothers come home and he's like, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And why would you not? Why would you not want to be a part of that reconciliation, part of that growth, part of that searching for God? Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, th- I think people are sometimes afraid. And I also think people um, are at a disadvantage because they haven't really fully receive love themselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. And yeah. I want to ask you like what do you, what do you think are some practical ways that we can challenge our own preconceptions conceptions about people we fear? Yeah. Like how do we challenge that? <sighs> yeah, man. I There there's a part later in the book where I I do this thing called the seven whys where, you know, I ask you to ask yourself why to every, 
like thought that can possibly be a judgment about someone um, just to kind of like unpack it even more uh, to get to the root of where this thought or this emotion against somebody else is coming from. Like even like say like if we're driving down the street and we see a guy standing on the street and you know, if a thought came up and somebody in the car said, Oh, he, he just wants money from alcohol. Well, why do you think that he wants money for alcohol? Right. Have you asked him what he needs it for? Yeah. And then what if the person responds and say, because, you know, you know, I heard that most people who are homeless are like addicts. Well, why do you think people are addicts? I mean, you just kind of drill down and kind of like unpack all of your uh, your your thoughts about the person to until finally you have to go up to them mm. and get to know them because to really disarm uh, prejudice and bias and like judgment uh, you can only do that in proximity. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean at the end of the day, the only way to really change what we think about people is to get to know them. Yeah. Love one another. Yeah. And choose one another. Listen to somebody's story. Yeah. Say, I know what it looks like, but I want to know what it is. Like, yeah. I want to know what you're going through. Yeah. And then ask yourself, how can I serve based upon mm. where this, this, this person is as it relates to a hierarchy? That's good. It, does this person need, are they in need of, of, of clothing? Are they in need of water? Are they in need of community? Or yeah. security? Are they in Do they need a little, a little bit of... Should I share my platform yeah. for them to Come on. reach what they need next, you yeah. know? Yeah, all of that, Think man. about that. <laughs> right, man. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, after listening to this podcast, that you would just want to take a step. It's kind yeah. of, you know, take a step. Um, and I want to I be bold and ask this question. Uh, who's your one? You know, because oftentimes we we get into these like big philosophical conversations about who's you know who's responsible. You know, is it yeah. who's is it the church? You know, the church universal, or is it the government, or is it some institution? It's like who's your one? Right. What's the one person that you are going to reach and serve uh, for the Lord? You know, who's that person you're going to get to know and get proximate with and and serve them in a way that's honoring to God and loving your neighbor, you know? That's good. Yeah. Who's your one? Yeah. And to build on that, I think it's Francis Chan who says that you're never really working in the spirit until you're discipling somebody. Wow. And sometimes if you think about it, if you're discipling somebody who might have lack of access to one of these different categories we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's building upon that. Mm. Um, That's good. Sometimes discipling someone looks like buying them a meal mm. or paying their rent. Or, or being a friend. Yeah, just being a friend or sharing your platform. Yeah, or affirming your dignity, you know, <laughs> yeah. the esteem. Like or even, matter. yeah, calling out the purpose in, in someone. I mean, all of that leads to people being empowered that's what we're really talking about we're not talking about like serving for self-serving purposes 
Yeah. We're talking about serving in a way that's tangible, that's practical, but also empowers those mm-hmm. um, who may be disadvantaged and impoverished. Yeah. Yeah. And to bring this all around, I want to talk about how we, we're all impoverished in some way. There's not one of us yeah. who has all this together. And even Maslow later on, he, he came back and said, yeah, like this isn't like you fulfill these needs and then it's done with and you just move on. Like there's a constant deprivation in some level. And I want to bring it back to how we each relate to God through each one of these needs. Like Hmm. no matter where we are, we're going to relate to God in some way through one of these different aspects of poverty. Um, And it might be like if you're experiencing extreme physical poverty, you're going to relate to God as the provider. Like the God who provides you your physical needs or, you know, maybe if uh, you're in this emotional realm of poverty, like you'll relate to God as your shepherd or defender, like someone who who fights for you and leads you. Or if you're in this relational poverty, you'll view you'll view God as a friend. Yeah, like, that's good. You know, God is just a friend to me. And or um, if you're up towards the top where you're in the self-actualization category, like where you're searching for your purpose and why you're here on earth. It's God is the dream giver. Like yeah, I'm searching for God to fill this need of a dream, to give me a dream, give me a purpose. Yeah. And in many ways, uh, if you are in that space, a part of your dream should include the service of others. Yeah. I think it's almost inseparable from it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, man. I, I think uh, I think we've we've pretty much covered a lot of different categories. I, I hope you guys are uh, getting something from uh, this podcast. Again, we are kind of like delving into uh, the I See You book. Um, it's called I See You: How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People, and Obviously, we're not going in depth, in depth about like all of the material, but we're just kind of like kind of highlighting certain uh, things within each chapter. And I think it's been a really good podcast today, man. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And like you said, like so much of this that we talked about is only scratching the surface of what's in the book. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I want to like I want to say go buy the book and read it. Yeah, and like this isn't Ter- <laughs> cool. Terrence saying that. It's yeah, me. It's, like, no, nah, it's it's this isn't like a plug or anything. No, nah, it's not a plug. But it, I mean, it's just a lot of good information um, uh, within this book. And I, I think many people, if you just like really just took time to to listen through, you would you would really get something from it. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Um, so you want to uh, shout out uh, the social connects? Yeah, and this is the narrative shift, and uh, this is. What? Wow! This is episode. Well, okay. So we had an, an like an intro episode, yeah, we which got an wasn't intro. really real because it was like fifteen minutes. But this is the like I said, the second episode where yeah. we are really diving <laughs> into content. And yeah. now's a good time to acknowledge that I've forgotten to tell people to share this. Oh like wow! If this is like <laughs> impacted you in any way yeah. or spoken to you, like. We'd love it if you would share it with your friends, share yeah. it on your social media, uh, subscribe to the podcast, yeah, uh, leave us cool. a review on wherever you listen to podcasts too. Yeah. 
And then, of course, follow us on social media. Terrence, you want to yeah. share your social yeah. media with us? Yeah, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. It's I'm Terrence Lester. That's I-M-T-E-R-E-N-C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. Um, and also the organization is Love Beyond Walls. Uh, that's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And also we, we launched a museum here recently called the Dignity Museum. So it's just Dignity Museum on all social platforms and the website lovebeyondwalls.org dot org. Yep. Yeah, dot and then org. what you about can, you man you can follow me on twitter or instagram johnny taylor 95 if you can't spell it then it's no big deal it's probably not no you to gotta be. spell it bro you gotta j-o-h-n-n-y t-a-y-l-o-r-9-5 yeah and that is it that's it 